Well, good evening, everyone. Today we are continuing our study in the book of Genesis. Uh, today we've made our way all the way to chapter 4. So you can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 4. And while you're turning there, let me remind you, chapter 3, it closed out with the verse from, well, two separate verses. If you look right at the end of chapter 3 in verse 24, there it explains that Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden as a result of their sins. So you can see there in verse 23, it says, Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken, and he drove out the man. And at the east of the garden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword. So the two, uh, Adam and Eve, were driven out of the garden. But take notice, they were driven out of the garden with a promise that the Lord would send, as it says in verse 15, sort of the, it says the seed of the woman who would ultimately defeat the serpent that had deceived them. Now, as we begin chapter 4, you can see in verse 1 that Eve is going to conceive and give birth. So verse 1 says, now Adam and Eve, excuse me, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Now, we can't know for sure, but it seems as if Adam and Eve perhaps thought that this child, this uh, uh, firstborn of theirs, was actually the one that was going to bring them deliverance from the consequences of their sin. So God had promised that he would give Eve a child who would ultimately defeat the serpent, and now she has a child, so this must be the one. Uh, the reason we think that is Cain, the name Cain, it it, it could be translated or it means acquired or gotten. The idea is gotten from the Lord or acquired from the Lord. It could even be translated, here he is. And, and if you, you look at her, sort of her clarifying statement there, she says, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord, or I have acquired a man. That could actually also be translated, I have acquired the man. And so there's this idea that Eve was convinced, Adam and Eve were convinced that this here is the one that God had sent. Here's the deliverer. Now you move on to verse 2 and what you notice is it seems that soon her thinking begins to change on that idea. Verse 2 says, and again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. Cain means acquired. Uh, I have acquired the man. Abel means vanity or emptiness or this idea of breath, uh, sort of here and gone, passing. Um, and it seems that this hope that she once had for Cain, we don't know how much older Cain is than Abel. Uh, for some reason in our minds we picture just a year or two, but uh, it seems that this hope that she once had for Cain has now dissipated. I, I suspect Cain had a rough uh, couple of years as a as a toddler, toddler and uh, that convinced her very quickly, no way is this kid the Messiah. Uh, but one way or another, uh, Cain and Abel now are born, and the human race is, be and Adam and Eve are beginning to populate the human race. Now, oftentimes we think Cain and Abel uh, are the only two children of Adam and Eve, or perhaps we, we think of Seth, who we will see at the end of this chapter is also born. Uh, but the reality is Adam and Eve had lots and lots of children, um, many sons, many daughters. It says in Genesis chapter 5, verse 4, 
It says, Thus the days of Adam, after he fathered Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. And, and the reason why Cain and Abel specifically are mentioned here is because the next account that we're going to focus on has to do with Cain and Abel. Not everybody that is in the Bible, or excuse me, not everybody that has ever lived is mentioned in the Bible. Um, in this case, we're going to focus in on those that the story needs us to focus in on. So it says in verse 3, Now in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. Now, before we jump in, take notice of two things. Cain is a farmer that makes his living uh, in the field of agriculture. Abel, also a farmer of sorts, uh, he makes his living in the field of working with livestock or with animals. And so you have these two men in industries. You know, oftentimes the picture is painted that the earliest humans were cavemen of sorts or hunters and gatherers that uh, didn't settle in anywhere, ran around the world trying to get enough food or whatever it may be. But the reality is you see, even in the earliest of civilizations, order here. Cain, a farmer of the ground, Abel, a farmer of animals, uh, and they're mentioned to us. Now, the account is going to focus on events that lead up to the murder of Cain, of Abel by Cain. Um, the circumstances of which, believe it or not, are precipitated by each man's attempts to bring an offering of worship to the Lord. And so there's a couple of things that we should take notice of. Um, first, notice the the contrast between these two. Cain, he brings an offering, as it says in the verse there, in the course of time. That seems to imply that when he got around to it, he brought an offering. It wasn't the his priority or anything like that, but it was an obligation that he had to meet. And so in the course of time, he got around to it. Abel, on the other hand, take notice, it says Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock. And notice also it says that uh, his offering also included the fat portions. The fat portions were really considered sort of a luxury of sorts. Um, seems a little bit odd, but uh, people tell me that it is delicious. And so he brings not only uh, of his firstborn right away, but also the very best he brings as well. Cain gets around to it when he can uh, or chooses to. Abel brings the very best. Also, we see Cain's offering was the byproduct of his efforts. Uh, he went out, worked the ground, created uh, some vegetables or fruit, whatever it may be, that he brings. Abel, on the other hand, his offering was the life of another. His offering involved the shedding of blood. Um, and then finally, you know, if you think about Abel's offering, if he's bringing an animal that has been slaughtered, uh, then it's going to be a bloody mess. Uh, conversely, uh, Cain's is probably rather visually appealing. I, I imagine it's sort of like the the fall cornucopia that you often see. Uh, and so you have this visually appealing offering of Cain, which is rejected, and this bloody mess offering of Abel, which is actually accepted. 
Now, it, it begs the question, why is Cain's offering accepted and Abel's offering rejected? Well, I think there's a variety of reasons, possibly. One, it could be simply Abel brought an animal sacrifice while Cain just brought or simply brought a fruit or grain offering. And, and, and that could have something to do with it. Um, however, we do see in Levitical law that grain offerings were prescribed and, and accepted by the Lord. So that in and of itself, it doesn't seem, could be uh, the reason. It, it could be the attitude of Cain's heart. Certainly when his, we will see in the text, when his offering is not accepted, he responds by getting furious and angry, which seems to me to indicate that his heart wasn't in the right place uh, to begin with. Also, we have this idea that he, he brought the offering almost out of obligation. He, he got around to it when he got around to it. But Abel, on the other hand, is quick to bring his offering. And so it seems that perhaps we might say the reason why it's not accepted is because the attitude of his heart was in the wrong place. We don't know that for certain either, but it's possible. Ultimately, what we do know is this, and this is revealed to us in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, 4 says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And so Hebrews 11.4 reveals to us the reason why Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's sacrifice was rejected, and that is simply because Abel brought his offering in faith and Cain did not. Now, how do we know, or excuse me, let me say, how did Abel know what exactly he was supposed to bring? Well, the scripture says this, that faith comes by hearing. And so it seems that God must have told Abel, and I suspect also um, Cain, or you might say God told Adam, and he passed that on to Cain and Abel. But one way or another, God made it known what he was looking for, and by faith, Abel listened to that. Abel obeyed that, and he brought what he was told to bring. They, most, they both must have been aware of what was required, and one of them obeyed, and the other rejected those instructions. Now, as the passage goes on, we see there in verse 5, it says, but for Cain and his offering, well, verse 4 actually, Abel also brought of the firstborn, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Somehow, God registered his approval and disapproval of these two offerings, and we don't know exactly how he did that. A lot of people suspect that fire came down and consumed the one offering but not the other. And, and there's certainly some examples in Scripture of fire coming down like that. Judges chapter 6, 1 Kings chapter 18, First uh, and Second Chronicles, First Chronicles 21 and Second Chronicles 7. So we see examples of that. So maybe that's what happened. Uh, but one way or another, God registers his approval of Abel and his disapproval of Cain. And that fact, that uh, that effort of God to register his approval and disapproval, as we see in the text, that angered Cain. And as it goes on to say, so Cain was very angry and his face fell. Now, what makes Cain so angry? You know, I think there's a variety of things. One is, was he mad that God was narrow, so narrow? 
What's the difference, God? You should just be happy I brought something. Uh, but no, it has to be an animal sacrifice. Uh, is that what angered Cain, that God was so narrow? Um, was he angry that his offering was rejected and thus he was rejected? Maybe. Um, was he embarrassed that everyone else saw that Abel's offering was accepted and his was rejected, thus his spiritual pride being wounded? Maybe, maybe all of those. But ang but he's clearly very angry and his face falls. And now notice what verse 6 goes on to say. It says, Now the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face falling? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. But you must roll over it. Now, I want you to take notice of this. Verse 6 begins, And the Lord said to Cain. You see, Cain's the one who has a problem, but notice what the Lord does. The Lord initiates uh, in Cain's life, just as he did with Adam and Eve. The Lord initiates. Cain is the one here that has been disobedient. Cain is the one that has sinned. And, and the Lord, in his kindness and his mercy and grace, he comes and he brings conviction upon Cain by asking him this question, why are you, ang why are you angry and why is your face fallen? Now, God inquires of Cain, not because he is unaware, but he, he asks Cain this question, why are you mad? So that Cain can be aware of what is going on. It's as if he's saying, Cain, why are you angry? Why are you so bothered? Why is your pride so wounded? You see, all of those questions are going to force Cain to consider what is going on inside of him. Now the Lord goes on, he says, if you do well, Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Cain is at a place where he can go one way or the other. He can either deal with his anger and his frustration and his bitterness, and he can confess those things as being outside of God's will, or he can give in to those things and let them become something bigger. Now notice here, God is not against Cain. It's not as if, you know, Cain brought a great offering and Abel brought a great offering, but God didn't like Cain, just doesn't like the guy, and so he's, he refuses to accept his offering. It, it has nothing to do with that. God would accept Cain's offering if Cain brought his offering according to God's prescribed manner. The key is, though, that Cain needs to come in faith and in obedience to the way that is prescribed by God, which at this point he's refused to do. And so God says, look, you have a choice to make here. Sin is crouching at your door. You know, when you read that, in our mind, oftentimes what forms is this idea of a lying being outside of our front door, perhaps hiding behind, you know, a bush or something, just waiting for us to step out, shut the door behind us, and then be helpless there as it can pounce upon us and destroy us. And I, I think the reason for the mental picture is found in the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 5, it says that our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom it might devour. And in the same way, so too is sin. It's waiting. That, that word is uh, desiring. It's longing. It's, it's got this insatiable desire that must be satiated in one way or another. It's just not going to go away. Um, and it's waiting there, ready to pounce as soon as it's giving an opening. And, and Cain is uh, given 
the ability, he has the ability, he can either resist that sin or he can give in to that sin and be devoured. And, and as we continue to read, we move on to verse 8, we find out what Cain will do. It says in verse 8, Now Cain spoke to his bro- Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel, and he killed him. Now the idea of verse 8 is that Cain lures Abel out into the field. Some manuscripts actually include, verse 8 begins by reading this way, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and he said, let us go out into the field. The idea is that Cain lured Abel out into the field. You know, I wonder if Cain approached Abel and said something like, hey, man, you know, I I blew it the other day. I brought the wrong offering. I knew I shouldn't. You know, I see that your offering was accepted. Hey, look, I grow grow fruits and fruit and grain, and and you uh, raise livestock, can can you show me how to worship? Can you take me out to the field to, so we can pick out an animal that I could do it the right way? One way or another, he, he convinces Abel that all is well. His countenance, uh, is certainly, he has put on the mask of of happiness and love. And the two of them go out into the field. And there you see it says that Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The New Testament references this and it says that Cain slew Abel. That word slew is the word that is used for a an animal sacrifice um, whose throat has been cut or will be cut. And it seems as if here that Cain killed his brother Abel the very same way that Abel offered the sacrifice by having his throat uh, slit. And I wonder if Cain is thinking, oh, you want to sacrifice God? I'll give you a sacrifice. And he slits the throat of his brother, and he kills him. Here's the one that some initially thought was the savior of the world, and he turns out to be a killer. And Cain had ignored God's instructions, first regarding a sacrifice, and now as it pertained to dealing with temptation and sin And both in himself and in his parents, sin wasn't nipped in the bud. And sadly now, Adam and Eve are truly seeing the consequences of their sin in the death of one of their children. Well, verse 9, God confronts uh, Cain and he says to him, Then the Lord said to Cain, Where's Abel your brother? And he said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Again, he asks a question, he being God, and it's not as if God is unaware. Certainly he knows what happened to Abel. But he asked the question so that Cain can articulate what has happened. And in that, what we see is the Lord gives Cain, <coughs> excuse me, the Lord gives Cain an opportunity to articulate what's happened. The Lord gives Cain an opportunity to confess his sin. You know, the Lord's question if you will, is conviction. He He's coming to Cain and re- having revealed to him that something's wrong here. But instead of Cain confessing his sin, he lies about it. He even t- attempts to deny it by saying, I don't know what where he is. Um, and then he gets kind of smart and sassy and he says, am I my brother's keeper? Cain knows exactly where Abel is. He killed him. And he responds to God with a with an attitude by saying, it's not my response, but how do I know where he is? You know, in the New Testament book of Jude, verse 11, 
it warns us uh, of the way of Cain, saying something to the effect of, do not go in the way of Cain. Now, I think in this passage, we discover what exactly the way of Cain is. The way of Cain is disobedience. God says one thing, we do another. The way of Cain is empty religion. God says, bring a sacrifice. Cain says, you know what, my grain offering will do. Uh, the way of Cain is bitterness. You know, if not accepted, you get mad, you get angry. And ultimately, the way of Cain is murderous rage. Cain brought an offering. Cain had a, as it says in Second Timothy, he had a form of godliness, but sadly, Cain denied the power of godliness. And the result, unfortunately, was cataclysmic, both for him, for Abel, certainly, but also for his descendants that would follow after him. Well, verse 10, the Lord says, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand, and now you are cursed. From the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield it to you its strength, and you shall be a fugitive and a wanderer in the earth. Now Cain thought his sin was hidden. He would just tell a lie about it and nobody would ever know. He would get away with it. The reality is that his brother's blood cried out from the ground that received it. Cain thought that he could get away with it. But sin always has a way of being exposed, as the scripture says. Be sure your sin will find you out. And so in verse 12, judgment is pronounced. It says there, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. Here he is, he's a farmer who has made his living from what the ground produced. And now he's judged so that the ground will no longer produce for him. Adam's curse was that it would be difficult to bring forth fruit from the earth. Cain's curse is that it will be impossible. And Cain, an additional punishment, he's named a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Maybe the idea there is in search of perhaps better ground, continually moving on, hoping just to uh, get a little bit more that can be produced. Adam's curse was that he would have no rest in Eden. Cain's curse is that he would have no rest in the entire earth. Verse 13 continues, Cain said, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Significant to note that Cain does not express remorse over his sin, but rather over his punishment. Donald Gray Barnhouse has said, One of the first signs of new life is that the individual takes sides with God against himself. Cain doesn't do that here. Cain makes excuses. Cain says, this isn't fair. This isn't right. Yeah, I killed somebody, but should I have to? And he be he goes into all these different reasons why God's not being fair with this decision. Rather than agreeing with God in confession and accepting his punishment as what he deserves, Cain instead, he gripes and he complains about the severity of it. Now, you could ask the question, does the punishment fit the crime? Cain killed a guy. Does this punishment fit the crime? And the answer is no. The punishment that would fit the crime is that Cain himself would be put to death. The idea of an eye for an eye. But God shows mercy in this punishment that he pronounces here. He allows Cain 
to live and to go on. Verse 15, then the Lord said, in response to Cain's statement that someone's going to find and kill him, it says, now the Lord said to him, not so, if anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Verse 15, the Lord put a mark on Cain. All different suggestions have been made as to what exactly that mark was or what it looked like. Um, the text doesn't say, nowhere in the scripture does it say, so we don't know. Uh, but one way or another, Cain is denoted uh, as one that was not to be touched by any sort of an avenger. It goes on, it says, lest any who found him should attack him. Now, the question is, well, who's going to find him? There's Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, uh, and now Abel's dead. Uh, but the reality is, there are plenty of other people on the earth. Remember, chapter 5, verse 4 it indicates that Adam and Eve had all sorts of other sons and daughters, and so that's who it is, even though they're not mentioned by name in the Bible. There's other people that are living on the earth, and that's who it is that are uh, that Cain is fearful are going to come and find him. And so it says Cain goes and he settles in the land of Nod. And the word Nod, it means wandering. You know, and here is a guy who has disobeyed God, rebelled against God, refused to give in to conviction that God was bringing. And the result is he becomes a lost wanderer. Uh, and sadly, as we reject the direction of God, the things of God, the hopes of God, what God wants to do in our lives, we find ourselves just in a place of wandering. We're lost. We become a prodigal. And the Lord desperately desires for us to, to avoid that and to not go off into that direction Cain did, however. The passage continues, Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built a city, and he called the name of the city after his son. He called it Enoch. Again, where did Cain get his wife? Remember, there's plenty of other people that are living on the earth. Now, some will say, well, wait a minute then. That means Cain married his sister, or generously, perhaps a niece he married. Isn't that wrong? You're not supposed to marry your sister and things like that. Um, but it's important to be reminded that the prohibition against such marriages, not marrying your sister or a close relative, the prohibition against such marriages, that doesn't come to the book of Leviticus, uh, which is about 2,500 years later. And so it wasn't prohibited for uh, these early generations to marry a brother or a sister. Um, I like how someone phrased it, marrying a brother or sister was not forbidden until God forbade it. And so it wasn't uh, wrong for a brother and a sister to marry here. goes on, it says, as we said, that he builds a city and he names it after a son. So we're seeing all sorts of things. We already saw, that, again, these are not cavemen. They, they are farmers. They raise livestock. They're building cities. We would call that urbanization and so on. But notice he names the city after his son. And so rather than building a city, dedicating it to the Lord, it is instead a man-centered work that is named after his son, Enoch. Well, verse 18 continues, and it begins to give us a genealogy of Cain. And oftentimes people will ask, 
um, why the Bible chooses to include genealogies uh, as frequently as it does. And there's a variety of reasons and purposes for genealogies. One of the purposes is, uh, for instance, we saw in the book of Matthew, uh, it gives us the genealogy of Jesus. The purpose of that is to prove who Jesus is, that he is of this royal line. Um, so there's a need for a genealogy there. But another reason why genealogies are often listed is to serve as sort of a bridge. And so we were we were looking at Cain, and now the story is going to move, and we're going to move over and begin to talk about a new fella, a fellow by the name of Lamech. And so we have to, well, how are we going to get there? Lamech just, doesn't just pop up. And so we have this genealogy that brings us from Cain through four or five generations to a guy by the name of Lamech. So verse 18 says, To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad father Mehujael, and Mehujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other was Zillah. Now some would look at this and say, well, this the Bible supports polygamy. Here we have an example of polygamy. But just because the Bible mentions that something happened doesn't mean that it supports that something. Um, for instance, the same chapter, it mentions that murder occurred. But that doesn't mean that it supports murder. The Bible is very clear that God's design was for one man and for one woman to be joined in marriage. So both we saw Genesis 2.24 and then later on in the New Testament, even Jesus will comment on marriage in Matthew 19.4-8 through 8, where he says, In the beginning God made it so that a man and a woman, one man and one woman would be joined together. And so the Bible doesn't support here this idea of polygamy. Verse 20, Now Ada bore Jabal, he was the father of those who dwell in tents, and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. And Zillah also bought, or excuse me, bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. And his sister was Nema. And you know, as you look at those verses and this whole chapter, really, you notice the rapid advancement of civilization. So, verse seventeen, we have urbanization. Verse twenty, where it talks about tents and livestock. The idea is uh, setting up a permanency of homes and um, large fields where the livestock would be um, raised and grown and then eventually um, sold and so on. You have in verse 21, you have music and the arts are forming. In verse 22, you have metalworking, bronze and iron. And so rapid advancement of society in these generations. But also notice in the chapter, you have rapid degeneration as well. You have murder, you have violence, you have bloodshed, you have polygamy. All of these things. We continue. Lamech said to his wives, verse 23, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Now, I find it interesting. He said, you wives of Lamech, listen, you know, it's it's rarely a good sign when a person speaks of themselves in the third person. And here's Lamech calling his wives together. And he says to him, them, I have killed a man for wounding me. Now, remember back, Cain killed a man. And how did the Lord respond? Well, he responded by showing him mercy. Here now, Lamech kills a man simply because the fella injured him. 
The Lord did not kill Cain when he murdered someone, yet Lamech takes it upon himself to murder someone for simply injuring him. And he seems to be proud of doing so. He says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. It seems he's implying that he is tougher than God. And he's boasting about the greater retribution uh, that he shows than even God. Tough chapter. I mean, you're reading all this and you're thinking, oh man, it's going worse to worse to worse. And remember the glory of how this all started just a couple of chapters earlier as Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. And now you have all this, but fortunately it ends in a pretty sweet way. Look at verse 25. It says, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel. For Cain killed him. And to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. And at that time people began to call upon the the name of the Lord. And we have this ray of hope at the close of the chapter. Um, Seth, the word, the name there meaning roughly appointed. And it's through the the line of Seth that the Messiah himself, the Lord Jesus, would come. As Jesus traces his lineage all the way back to Adam, he does through, not through Cain, not through Abel, certainly, but he does through, through Seth. And so the Lord is gracious, and he causes his will to be accomplished. And you notice there, and it's at the time of Seth's son Enosh, that people began to call upon the name of the Lord. The idea is they came together to worship the Lord in the means for for which he prescribed. And so chapter 4, not the uh, the most pleasant of chapters, but certainly as we look at the chapter, we see a, a strong warning for each of us in a variety of ways. One, that we must come to God in the way that he has prescribed, that our efforts, um, no matter how hard we work, no matter how beautiful the thing is that we bring to God, the scripture it speaks of our righteous deeds being as filthy rags before the Lord. And so the Lord prescribed that we come, as Jesus said, there is one way by which we can come into the presence of the Father, and that is through himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to God lest he comes through me. We're also warned in this chapter that temptation will come. It will rear its head. It will Uh, attempt to get us to go in a particular direction. And we have a choice in how we respond to that, particularly as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are filled with his Holy Spirit. We are empowered to walk in the newness of life. And sin crouches at our door, just as it does the unbeliever. And it's desirous for us, but we must master it. We must uh, confess our sin as such and walk in the ways that the Lord has prescribed for us. Genesis Chapter 4.